your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Pitch, hot shot, base hit down the left field line. Roscoe will score. Here comes Cervantes. He's being waved home. Acker also being waved home. And the relay throw to the plate is not in time. It's a bases clearing double by Bryce Matthews, and the Cornhuskers lead it four to nothing. Sports Nightly is presented by the NDOT Highway Safety Office, who reminds you to buckle up and put the phone down. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. We're here, full Tuesday night show coming your way tonight. Thank you so much for spending some of your evening with us. We are honored, privileged by that. We have coming up for you, Tom Chattel, the lead columnist of the Omaha World Herald, is going to be here in a couple minutes. Wrote a pretty good column about what was a pretty wild Friday for Husker football and the whole Oklahoma thing. Tom was... Pretty hard on his stands. We'll get his take on all of that. And uh, he also has mentioned he's going to be not attending any NCAA tournament action for the first time in a long time. We'll get his take on that. And as we continue to deal with the global pandemic that is affecting the sports world. So looking forward to chatting with Tom. Hadn't talked to Tom in a couple months. So looking forward to having him on here in a few minutes. Hour number two, Kevin Suits, the longtime sports director at 1011, the CBS affiliate in Lincoln. Gets carried throughout most of the state's going to be here with us. He had a front row seat the last couple of weeks for those terrific state tournaments. The girls two weeks ago, the boys last week, just amazing theater. And I named the Nebraska, the Nebraska High School Activity Association as my winner of the weekend. Uh, what a great event they put on last week. We'll get Kevin's wrap up of all that coming up in hour number two. We'll go beyond the headlines as well. Can't wait to see what Tim and Austin have cooked up for us tonight. And that, and then our third hour, it's our women's basketball show for the week. Amy Williams, Matt Cotney will be there to preview the WNIT. The Huskers are a part of that 32-team field. They are traveling to Memphis later in the week. They'll play University of Tennessee Martin out of the OVC, the Ohio Valley Conference. They went 20-5 and five in the regular season. They'll play at 11 a.m. on Saturday. And even if you lose, you get, you're guaranteed at least one more game. It's, you can't come back through the winner's bracket to make it through the tournament, but you get a couple more games even if you drop the opener. And I think Nebraska, the way they're playing and the way they played it in Indy, the Big Ten tournament, could make some noise in that tournament. So we'll have the head coach with us for an entire hour in the third hour of the program. Let's get your comments, questions ready for Coach Williams coming up in hour number three. Uh, Huskers finished 12-12 and in the year. Had a handful of wins over teams that made the tournament. We talked about this a little bit last night, that they beat Northwestern twice. They're a seven seed in the NCAA tournament. They beat Michigan State in their only matchup. They're a ten seed. Uh, but the Huskers on the outside with those 12 losses, but into the NIT and have a chance to make some noise. They're traveling into Memphis for uh, their pod of that. There are four different pods for the WNIT. They go to Memphis for a couple of games beginning on Friday. So that's what we have here on the program tonight. If you'd like to be a part of the program, 531-500-4686. You can dial us up on our Sports Nightly hotline, brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto Family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service experience the difference purchased with confidence this is Woodhouse and in normal year Ben Tuesday night NCAA tournament week we'd begin tonight the first four but that's been pushed back a couple of days they are going to go 
uh, on Thursday for that to happen, four games on Thursday. So no NC tournament action for a couple days. Somebody brought up an interesting point to me earlier today. They said, you know, with everybody right there in Indy, could they not have sped it up a little bit? That's a fair point. My guess is the TV networks didn't want it all on a couple of different days. They probably want it more on the weekends than they do during the week. Uh, they probably had an influence in that, but that's a fair point. The teams, if you advance through the first weekend, you don't leave, you stay. <laughs> so you, could you just have had maybe two days off and then go again? They're going to give them the re- the normal four or five days between rounds off, and that's a fair point, right? I mean, do they really need to keep them there that whole time? It's a long time for those teams to be sequestered in in hotel rooms in Indianapolis. Yeah, right. I mean, especially with the risk of COVID. I mean, the longer that you're there, the more risk that you have. Um, yeah, I mean, it. You know, it's one thing if you're flying from San Diego to to Austin or yeah, you know, somewhere in the Northeast to to Minneapolis or to Tampa or whatever, but. Yeah, um, I would have been fine with with keeping the the every you know couple days trend moving, but yeah, not the way that they're going to do it. So definitely a little little odd. If it's all about the student athletes, and how many times are we lectured about that from the NCAA? You're going to keep these kids away from campus, and I know this year most classes are on Zoom, so they probably can still keep up with their schoolwork. But can they really? I mean, because you're going to have to go practice at certain times. You may or may not have a lot of influence on when you get the gym to practice. I mean, I don't know. These kids are going to be gone from – that just seems like, wait a minute here. Are we, are we really looking out for the best interest of student-athletes by keeping them in Indy for three weeks? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't see a lot of benefit, a benefit to it, but – you know, we're we're not the ones making the decisions. So yeah, it's definitely it, it would have been a good opportunity to just try try and change some things up. But you know, apparently that's not the case. And the other thing too that that gets me is, um, you know, I know I know a lot of the the NCAA covers the cost a lot of these things because it's the NCAA tournament. But I mean, if we're about saving money too, let's let's we could cut down the the cost of hotels by about fifty percent if we're, you know playing playing in a quicker amount of time but hey i'm not in, i'm not in charge of making those decisions and and, and hey I, I get it by monday by monday night there's only gonna be 16 teams left they start at 68 with the first four there's only gonna be 16 left so uh, the vast majority of them are going to be back on campus next week but those teams that make a deep run are going to miss a couple of weeks of school and uh, it just seems like that's pretty stressful on a student athlete to try to battle their way through a semester when it's hard as it is, and I, I don't, I just, these questions pop into my head during the day, and I'm like, really? Okay, we, on one hand, we're told this, and this is how it's executed on the other side of this thing. So it seems a little bizarre to me. Maybe, maybe nobody else feels that way, that it's, it's all good and moving on. We are exactly two weeks out from spring practice. Two weeks from today, Husker football will be on the practice field for the first of 15 spring practices. This is different. Normally by now we would have had five or six spring practices in the book. This this week would have been spring break week. And so what Nebraska has done, I think all 13 years that I've been here, they've had four or five practices before the break, and then they come back and finish it up with a spring game in the middle of April. We're still pointing toward a May 1st spring game. So, you know, you start to kind of get your thought process, thinking about what what's going to be important, what's going to be looked at. 
what news is going to come out of that? Who's going to be the spring darlings? Who needs a good spring to, to catch the coach's eyes? You know, I, and I was on a show the other day, and if somebody's, all right, what, what, what's to you the biggest, going to be the biggest storyline of spring football moving forward? And to me, it's going to be what, what happens in that running back room? What, what, what does that look like? And you have Marquis Stepp, who's going to be here, the transfer from USC. You have all the, the guys that are back from last year, that freshman class, and Marvin Scott and Ronald Tompkins and Sevion Morrison, who we did not see on the field last fall for this team. But I would say A number one for me, Ben, is that running back room uh, of interest for me is what does that thing look like in a couple of months as they get the break for summer before they come back for, for the real season in August? Yeah, I think for me, if I were to answer that question, I would probably you know, ramp it up um, one level further and, and just throw in the, just the skill positions. Um I, I, again, I, I'm in a little bit of prove it to me mode with these wide receivers. I mean, I think for a couple of years in a row, we've been really excited about the talent in the room, and and we just keep having a little bit of turnover from from year to year. And you know, we've got a lot of bodies in there, but we also now have a lot of unproven bodies in there. We've saw, we've seen a little bit of Xavier Betts and what he can do. Um, you know, we're bringing in Samare Toure from from Montana. You know, who's a, a guy that, uh, you know, by all accounts is going to come in and help this team a lot. You lose Wandale, and and you, you just need guys out there that are going to make plays. And there's a batch of guys that it's almost now or never with. And, and I'm intrigued to see what kind of springs that they have. But um, Omar Manning, what, what's the deal with him? Mm-hmm. You know, that I'd always work it out with the team and, you know, still around. And I know last year was really frustrating for him, for the coaches and all the fans to not see him out there. But – you know, I think uh, you know, the wideouts to me have to be involved because we've seen what this offense can do with two really good ones, with J.D. Spielman and Stanley Morgan on the field at the same time. We haven't really had that since, and the offense hasn't really been the same since. Uh, I with, I'm with you, though. That I think running back is, is probably equally intriguing to me uh, with the bodies that they have. I probably feel a little bit better about the, the running backs, and that seems ridiculous to say because of – uh, the complete lack of experience or, or at least returning production that Nebraska has in that room. But, you know, to me, it's just the skill positions. And I, and I think Coach Frost really needs good skill positions for this offense to work. And, you know, we'll kind of see how, how that all plays out. No, you're right. There's, there's some scholarship wide receivers who have not really made a dent on the depth chart. And so this is a huge spring for some of those guys that have been in the program a couple of years and just have not been on the field because, and I might have, I might have put wide receivers ahead of running backs, except the, the three incoming freshmen aren't here. Mm-hmm. They're not here for spring. They're going to get here in summertime. I think they're really talented. I think they'll have a chance to get on the field next fall. But those scholarship athletes that have been here, and I'm thinking of Demarion Houston and, and Nance and some of those guys, we just haven't, haven't been on the field enough. They better take a jump. Or those incoming freshmen are going to jump them in a hurry yeah. in the summer and in the August camp when that gets going. But, no, you're right, because I think most of us, most Husker fans, feel pretty good about defense. Now, there's going to be some jostling in the secondary, and Travis Fisher's going to have to figure out who plays opposite Cam Tater, Britton. I mean, there, there's, some, there's some things there. But I think you feel good about the defensive front, the front seven, you feel good about offensive line. You feel like there's adequate depth there. Tight end, you love that position. So, And, and at quarterback, it's Adrian. And, and you, you need development behind Adrian. It's a big camp for Logan Smothers. Um, 
Heinrich Harburg, can he come in and, and challenge to be a backup quarterback behind Adrian going into the final year? So there's certainly going to be some interesting questions to be answered over the next six weeks when football practice begins in a couple weeks. I, I just can't – those guys have to be chomping at the bit because of the extra period of time it's been between when the season ended – on that Friday before Christmas and now. I mean, that's a long time without being out there and being in practice sessions. And for the last two months plus now, it's been nothing but winter conditioning. And that's, believe me, that's extremely important. But that ain't the sexiest time of the year for these guys. That's not what they live for. They know they have to do it to get better. But I'm, I'm sure spring ball is what they want to be outside playing football and running plays, running routes, making some plays on defense, blocking, tackling a little bit. Uh, they, they've got to be chomping at the bit. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think there, I think there's a lot of parts to this team that are probably feeling like that and, and for different reasons. So, look, there's a lot of eyeballs on Nebraska football right now, and, and there's a lot of um, – I don't even know how to explain it. A lot of theories, a lot of conjecture, a lot of projection. Um, really, I mean, I guess it comes down to one word, and that's pressure. There, I mean, there's a lot of pressure right now for a, for a lot of players to perform and coaches to perform and this team to take the next step. So every offseason milestone that we kind of click past amplifies in importance. And, and last year, the the, the – off season was completely thrown out of whack with COVID. Um, the coaches kind of talked a lot about how you know it affected them a lot during the season. So now that they have their regular season back, their regular off season back, let's see what let's see what they can do with it, and let's see how they can uh, you know come through together and you know, you know finally trying to find a way, Greg, to take that next step as a program. And it starts in the off season. You have to do all the things right right now to win on the field in the fall. So. Um, you know, you hope that that the the progress that is made uh, meet the coaches' expectations, and they feel like they can continue to hit the ground running. You know, into the summer workouts, and then inevitably into fall camp when everybody else is on campus. It's cranked up two weeks from today for that. All right, when we come back, Tom Chattel, the lead columnist of the Omaha World Herald, has written some pretty interesting things lately, including. Whatever that was on Friday, though, the Oklahoma fiasco with Nebraska, we'll get Tom's take on that and more coming up next. Welcome back. Sports Island here on a Tuesday night. Greg Sharp with you and delighted to be joined by the lead columnist of the Omaha World-Herald, Tom Chattel. Tom and I go way back, uh, back to your days when you wrote for the Kansas City Star. I saw something really sad today, Tom. I saw them. They were removing the, the name, the Kansas City Star, off that beautiful building that they had built in downtown Kansas City. It brought a tear to my eye. That was sad to see. The Star, I guess, is relocating to a much smaller facility. I don't know if you knew about that, but that, man, that, that hit me hard when I saw pictures of that today. Well, I kind of got over that a few years ago when, when they, they moved down to the original building um, at uh, 1729 Grand Avenue. And... Um, <laughs> You know, that's where all my memories are. So, you know, life goes on. Um, it, you, you just, you, just happy to have a, a, a paper to write for and a, a team to cover. So, you, you wrote a piece that, that this is going to be the first NCAA tournament you have not gone to in person in nearly forty years. That would take you back to your star days, wouldn't it? Eighty-two, yes, sir. Um, and uh, I believe you and I were on, on at least a couple of those. Uh, yeah. 
K-State didn't go a lot in the 80s. Uh, they went 81, obviously, uh, beat Oregon State. But uh, I'm thinking of the 88, uh, K-State went, went to South Bend. Yep. And and, and they, they beat LaSalle in the first game, and then they, they beat DePaul. Uh, and then I was off to uh, Detroit to play KU, and they sent me to Birmingham to follow Billy Tubbs. So it was uh, <laughs> because we had the, the Final Four that year, so we had we covered all four regionals. And uh, I don't know, I got Birmingham over Detroit, but I, it was it was uh, it's been a great run. I you know it's just a weird year to go. They're only allowing five media people for each school to attend. There's no access to anybody. You just you get a Zoom with the coach and and one player. Um, and I haven't had my shot yet, so I'm, I'm getting there. I'm waiting for uh, you know my time. But um, NFL is a good year to stay home, so uh, I will I will watch and cover from home. Do you think it will take away from people's enjoyment, or, or is ever the people you talk to? They just so glad that it's back after the year off last year that it'll still garner the same attention. No, I think it's fine. I, I think people are so hungry for it uh, that the um, you know I, I think I, I think last week at least showed me last week the conference tournaments really stoked my fire for this thing because they had we had games on every night every hour you know the the Big East game was over and here comes the Big Twelve game and here comes, here comes the Big Ten and you know one after another all night. Uh, there are some upsets and some thrillers, but just just good to see games all over the place. And so that's what it's going to be like this week. Um, it'll, it'll just going to be all in the same place. But you know what? The NCAA has really they turned this thing into a homogenized event anyway. Every city has to have the same court, same mm-hmm. color. You know, all the different sites used to have their own there are sort of wacky designs and colors um, for the court, and you know, there are there are no special touches. And they've they've just turned it and all the sites into a, a bunch of clones. So why not have it all in one event? I, I just want to have it. Uh, I'm not excited. That the reason I'm probably not as excited. It doesn't seem it's very wide open to me. It's like there's about four or five teams that are at the top and kind of better than everybody else, and there's there's a big gap. And uh, so hopefully we'll, hopefully we'll have some upsets. But um, I'm going to say Bonaventure beat Michigan. How about Ooh. that? Uh, oh, wow! You'll win some brackets if you if that happens. You'll you'll pull off a lot of points that people won't get if that takes place. And for goodness' sake, when you walk into those arenas now, don't take a a, a properly marked water bottle, or that's going to be confiscated from you for the NCAA <laughs> tournament. Uh, hey, I want to talk about this Nebraska Oklahoma thing that just blew up on Friday? You you wrote a pretty strong column about what in the world was this all about? I think a lot of Husker fans kind of wondered that same thing. What what do you think went down with all that? I don't know, Greg. It's so disappointing. And my first reaction was, "This is is this April first? Because there's no way in hell Nebraska would ever pull out of the Oklahoma series. We've been all waiting for that. Um, I mean, that's, that's why you bring Scott Frost back to, to you know to re- revive history and you bring those bring the old pride back. And the Oklahoma series represented that. And you know, what you hoped was 
was that Scott could, could get the program up to speed enough that they, they'd have a chance in that game, and it would, it would, it would, it would, it would be competitive. The last thing anybody ever thought would be that they would ever do that. Um, so I, after, I, after we figured out, it took six or seven hours for Nebraska to respond, which was also, uh, that was not good. Um, <laughs> it looked like they were kind of stumbling around a little bit there. Um, I talked to those people in, at Oklahoma uh, in their department off the record, and they they thought the game was on, but they weren't sure. They really didn't know what was going on, and they were kind of uh, prepared to uh, – if they had to react and go find something else, they would. But um, there was not going to be a game in 2022 if that happened. <laughs> so they were both gone. Um, but uh, I'm not – I can't buy this – the thing about the finances. I realize that it was a tough year, but Nebraska's got seven home games – next year. Also, Oklahoma game, you could turn the hay market into a giant party with all that stuff down there. You could have TV sets, the game on everywhere. You could still get a lot of those bars and restaurants going um, for that game. Everybody's going to want to watch it. Um, I just, uh, to me, it just looks like they need a win. They need to get a bowl game. They need to win. And that's the wrong reason to, I mean, it's just, I really feel like they let the the, the program down, the the history, the, and, and mostly the fans. The fans that I've heard from, I don't hear from everybody, but I hear from enough. Um, they're very disappointed, and they, yeah, they aren't going to forget this. So this, was, this one's going to leave a mark. <laughs> Is it is it long lasting damage in your eyes, or will this be because we're in such a twenty four hour news cycle business anymore now that it's off the uh, head? Will, will this be longer term damage to them, or is this something we don't even we don't think about again until the week of the game and it gets brought up then? I think some, if not many, uh, people, a lot of people are are not going to look at Bill Moose and Scott Frost the same way again. I just don't. I, it's going to be hard. Um, I, I, I know winning is, it, it cures all, but Oklahoma, man, that, that's, that's, that's a part of the soul. That, that really is. And to, and Husker fans don't want to be embarrassed. They don't, they don't demand national championships. They want to play good football. They don't want to be embarrassed. And they certainly don't want to back down after everything they went through last year, trying to get football, you can't back down from the game and of all the games, Oklahoma. That's there would not be the rest of football history without Oklahoma. You, you can't write it. There's no, there is no history without Oklahoma. Uh, both of those old pro- programs, they both pushed each other. I mean, you remember it. I remember it. We all remember yep. it. Every game that was the game. Every year that was the game. And if you lost the year before, you were trying to get an edge the next year, and it made Tom Osborne better. He changed his offense. He changed his recruiting. And then Oklahoma had to answer, you know, and it was just back and forth. And uh, there wouldn't be, like I said, there would not be uh, Scott Frost in Nebraska right now trying to revive a tradition because the tradition was Oklahoma. They they helped make it. So um, I think it's going to – I really, like I said, I think it's going to leave a mark. I think it's, you know – 
obviously they're they can overcome it, but I don't think a lot of people are going to look at it the same way again. Tom Schtel's with us, the lead economist. Of the I, I could be wrong, Greg. I could be wrong. I could, ah. I just my opinion. Well, here we here we're two weeks out from the start of spring practice. What's what's got your interest as these guys get ready to start their their fifteen practice sessions here well, in two weeks? Yeah, I heard what you were saying about the running backs. That, that that's a very important uh, because the defense seems to be in place. The quarterback is in place, but the quarterback needs help. And we we now in the fourth year understand that Adrian Martinez is not Superman. And he is not going to ever be Superman. Uh, but he was really, really good the first year when they had Divino Zigbo and they had two receivers, uh, very high caliber guys, um, and Stanley Morgan and J.D. Spielman. So when he has quality help around him, a running game would take the heat off where he didn't have to make every play. He was really good. And the, the scheme was really good. Uh, I can still hear Urban Meyer talking about it after that game at Columbus. Um, so the running game is very important. Now, is is Step eligible? Is he is he going to play next year? That's I don't know. Uh, do you have do you? Or can you tell me? <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. I mean, it, okay, well then he's is he? I think he'll he'll be the guy if he's yeah. eligible. But if he's not. Uh, we didn't see anybody step up last year. You know, Wandale Robinson had to be running back. Nobody else was ready to go. They were banged up or whatever. Um, and then finally, in, in the last game, Mills came out of, you know, he almost came out of nowhere. And he was – we saw what Adrian Martinez could do with a, with a, with a very good running game. Uh, it, it changed – it looked like a, like, a, like a different offense. So – I think that's absolutely. Uh, you know, it looks like the offensive line will be better. Um, it's just you know, yeah, receivers are questionable. They've got a new option coming in. You know, a couple people uh, who can maybe we'll see. But the running game is got to happen, and they've got to help the defense stay off the field. And you know, they can't they, they, they can't wear them down every game. Um, that's a, a very crucial thing. I agree. Well, I just hope we get 12 full games in and we get fans back in the stands and it looks more like college football come August. Tom, we appreciate it. I got, I, got, I wrote it down, St. Bonaventure to the Sweet 16. I got it down. I'm not sure I'm as brave as you, but we'll see how that how that plays out. Well, you can put it in my face when I'm wrong. I'll probably be wrong a lot. But, uh, but anyway, it's, it's, it's good to have it back and uh, – We'll have spring football. We'll have a spring football game, and we we'll have fans in there too. You bet. Very good. No, that's good. Hey, Tom, appreciate thanks, it. Sir. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Greg. Well, well, there's some good news for Husker basketball fans. Kobe Webster, one of the seniors, given the opportunity to come back for one more year, he is. So there you go. After yesterday's departure of three scholarship athletes kobe webster coming back does not count against the 13 that you are allowed to have so he can be an extra guy on that team played some good basketball for the big red coming down the stretch so really good news they're still waiting thor's uh, decision for him but i think that's really good news to get kobe webster to come back next year he really he really kind of found a niche with this team and 
That group was playing some pretty good basketball at the end of the year. So good news there for Fred Hoiberg and the Husker basketball staff. Welcome to Hour 2 here on Sports Sunday. Coming up this hour, Kevin Suits going to join us here in a couple of minutes, the longtime sports director at 1011, and we'll go beyond the headlines later on in the hour. But uh, Kevin Suits on board our Woodhouse hotline right now. Um, wow, you, you guys have been cranking and busy with the state tournaments, and now your station's going to be really busy, right, with, with the NCAA tournament, which gets going here on CBS in a couple days. That's going to be fun. You know, I, I'll stop there, but you're going to hear that jingle over and over and over. 10-11 uh, has games starting on um, Friday, no Thursday on our network, but Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So we'll have uh, basketball almost all day. It's it's a beautiful time of year. Have you filled out a bracket yet? First, and uh, Greg, I'm an Illinois grad. And even when I was in college, I was in the Orange Crush for a few years. So that's the team I grew up watching. And I, I, I don't want to set myself up to be in a position where I'm left down at the end. And I got to guard my heart a little bit here. Um, so I, I don't have a bracket filled out, and I don't want, know what to do with the Illini first. You know, uh, a billion years ago, I used to work in a newsroom like like you, and we would do a you know a newsroom bracket thing. And by golly, after the first weekend, people that knew really very little about college basketball would always be leading the bracket challenge. Is that is that been a familiar thing with you, or is it totally different? No, that's always the case. You know, uh, you can have whether it's my home. Home bracket, you know, we've got our seven-year-old son who likely is going to win because he picked off of the mascot name. Um, or here at the workplace, somebody who uh, probably doesn't follow college basketball uh, may win the pool. I don't know if you, you watch Dude Perfect at all, Greg, but they have a video of uh, March Madness stereotypes, which kind of goes through the different types of people that fill out brackets. It is phenomenal, and I laugh so hard at that every time I watch it. Oh, I'm gonna have to go look that up. That, that that should be fun. Well, I know it's been it's been fun and and probably exhausting for you and your staff uh, covering uh, the end of the high school basketball season. But my goodness, kudos, first of all, kudos to the Nebraska State Activities Association for getting that thing completed, getting it done. But man, there was incredible drama the last couple of weeks, and it's so so much fun for the city of Lincoln. I know to host both the girls and boys tournaments. What what were your takeaways from the last couple of weeks? From a basketball perspective, it was one of the most enjoyable state tournaments that I can remember. From a community perspective, it was really neat, you know, going back to not this past week, but the previous one when the girls' state tournament was happening. You know, I think the Tuesday start caught a lot of the community off guard. They weren't quite ready for it. They knew about it. But Tuesday happened. Wednesday happened, and by Thursday, which typically would have been the start of the state tournament, I felt like Thursday the rail yard and the Haymarket area started to have that buzz. And then as the the girls' tournament progressed into the weekend, it started to seem a little bit more like it was in 2020 and, uh, well, the previous year, um, 2019 and before, just in terms of the, the vibe around Pinnacle Bank Arena and around the city when the state basketball championships were being being held in Lincoln. Uh, but, man, it was so much fun, and I really feel like everything was operated in a pretty safe capacity. I know that uh, players, coaches, administrators, everybody's just tickled pink that it went off the way that it did. 
a lot of work goes into those things. And I, the highs and lows that, that those young boys and girls go through, is it's, it's, it always catches me. It always grabs me about how much it means, and particularly to these smaller communities who come into Lincoln. Yeah, they're going down the wrong way on a one-way street. We all get used to that. But just the, 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 the sheer excitement level of it, I just it, it gets me every year. It really does. It's really neat. And you know what was really cool about the adjusted format for this year? You know, they spread it out. Instead of it being a three-day tournament, it was five days for the boys, five days for the girls, was the Thursday, A, B, and C1. Those classes did not participate those days. Instead, those days were the lower classes across the state of Nebraska, and they got to play at Pinnacle Bank Arena and not the Devaney Center because the Devaney Center was being used by the Nebraska volleyball team and the other uh, campus athletes that, uh, that used the Devaney. So the fact that those smaller schools got to get into Pinnacle Bank Arena at an earlier round and they had the stage to themselves all day on Thursday, that was really neat. And I think that that was appreciated by those smaller communities, and I really just thought it was it was a neat way to kind of give them a little more shine as opposed to some of those games being played at the same time as the Class A and the Class B state semifinals. No, that's a great point, and maybe that's something. Maybe that's something they look at in the future. Maybe they expand the length of it so that they get a chance to do more of that. I think that's a that's a great point. Again, visiting with Kevin Suit, sports director at Ten Eleven here on Sports Alley on the Husker Sports Network, and it was so refreshing to see crowds. I mean, it's it's been so generic. Uh, for for Big Ten play with the Huskers at every event and just parents and a smattering of people in these buildings and venues. I, I, it, it pointed out to me, at least, Kevin, how, how much I miss the folks being involved in sporting activities. And, I, you know, I've been frustrated. I think we're all locally frustrated the Big Ten and their grip hold on not opening some gates and letting people into these things. But Man, I sure hope that they, they rethink that before we get into the next school year because uh, the state tournament's pointed out to me how much it means to all of us, people who cover it, people who play, people who officiate, coach, to have the fans in the stands. The feeling is just so, so amazing. And I think that uh, having been in some of these venues where there's a lot of people uh it just makes me appreciate it so much more now. Not that we took it for granted previously, but I go back to mid-February. I went out to Grand Island for the Heartland Hoops Classic when Oak Hill Academy came here and Sunrise Christian came to Nebraska, and they were playing those evening games against Bellevue West and Miller North. And, you know, that wasn't at full capacity, but they sold a lot of tickets. And that was the first true experience I can remember since the pandemic began um, last spring that it just felt right, normal. There was energy, there was buzz. And even when the ball would go in the air, Greg, on a pivotal three late in the game, you just heard that <gasps> and everybody holding their breath. Like that was an emotion and a feeling that it was kind of foreign because we hadn't felt it for almost a year. And that was the first time that I was reminded, like, this is what it was like. And it really carried into the Boys State Tournament. And if, uh, for those of you that are listening, if you attended the Class A championship game between Millard North and Bellevue West, there were so many of those moments. And I'm sure that you're probably still talking about it today and maybe still feeling some of those things you felt in those moments. There was a timeout. You know, that was such an epic game, Greg. There was a moment 
I believe it was about seven seconds left. It was tied up. One of the teams called timeout to try to draw up a play to win the championship. And when those teams broke huddle and got on the court, I have a piece of video where everybody in Pinnacle Bank Arena, they all rose at the same time as if they were at church. And that moment right there was something I will never, ever forget, because it was like we are all in person, watching a high-stakes game, one of the best games played in Nebraska State basketball history, and there was a, a missing emotion for so many people that were in the stands that we all experienced it simultaneously, and it, it put the hair on my arm straight up because it was like, wow, this is really cool. Oh, you're giving me chills with that. And that semifinal game in Class A on Friday night that went triple overtime, that that was an, another classic there as well. And just imagine, Kevin, I mean, Husker Volleyball just had back-to-back five-setters with Ohio State. Imagine what the Devaney Center would have been like for those two matches with the Buckeyes on Friday and Saturday. That was tremendous volleyball, and yet, you know, what are maybe 75 people in the building? I mean, it's just just a missed opportunity. I hope the Big Ten really takes a strong look at this going through, but I, I got to think that that's affected John Cook's team a little bit, don't you? That They don't have that huge home court advantage right now at the Devaney Center. Absolutely. Maddie Kubik even said it here, uh, the sophomore outside here. She talked about it uh, just this morning with uh, us reporters. She was saying that she missed playing in the Devaney when it feels like the Devaney. The players notice it. John Cook notices it. And, and he said that uh, during that fifth set, you got to remember, Nebraska against Ohio State, they were up 13-12 to 12 in the fifth set. Mm-hmm. They only needed two more points to win it. And I've got to believe, I don't think I'm going out on a limb here, if there are 8,000 people in the building, that's worth something, and they probably win that match. It's not the outcome that actually played out on Saturday. I think the crowd, uh, you know, sometimes they talk about in football that it's worth 7 to 10 points or whatever it may be. I, I really feel like the crowd, especially in volleyball with Nebraska's extremely passionate fan base and the different things that they do during a match in the way that it not only helps Nebraska players feed off of their energy, but it sometimes suffocates the opponent. So when Ohio State is at the service line and the place is rocking and the floor is vibrating and, and there's just so much buzz in there, it may result in a missed serve by Ohio State. But when it's empty, it's just volleyball. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Great point. Well, Kevin, a fantastic, fantastic job to you and your crew for your coverage of all the state basketball over the last month, getting up to the state tournaments and the state tournaments. I hope you get a little time off. You guys deserve it. Well, I'm going to take some time off to make sure I watch enough basketball here uh, this weekend and the following weekend. And I appreciate you having me on, Greg. Thank you so much. And, man, it was, it was a state tournament for the ages here over the past few weeks over at Pinnacle Bank Arena. Beyond the headlines. That's right, Austin Orman and Tim Curran here for you uh, with the seven, at least in our opinion, best stories both in the sports world and beyond. Beginning with, uh, well, March Madness, of course. Uh, the whole country is really gearing up for it. And as is CBS, will be airing some of the games. They released a promo on Monday parroting their soap opera, The Young and the Restless, for the tournament. Here's a clip. Phyllis, there's something I need to tell you, something I've never told you before. Okay, tell me. It's 
serious could change everything. Nick, is there someone else? No. No way. There could never be anyone else. Okay, so just tell me. Okay. In 2012, I didn't have Lehigh over Duke like I told everyone I did. What did you just say? I had Duke winning the whole thing. My bracket was in ruins. The Plumlee brothers, they were amazing. I, what was I supposed to do? Get out of my hotel. Don't act like you didn't think Austin Rivers was unstoppable, Get Duke. out of my life! It's a little harsh on, on her part, but you know what? In, in fairness, I mean, uh, Duke does make us all puke, I guess, besides Austin. But uh, no, no worries about picking Duke. In, uh, in, in this year's tournament, I'm afraid. Uh, the, the Dukies did not make it. But uh, uh, anyway, do you guys see any monumental upsets on the horizon like we saw in that year? There's two, two seeds that went down that, that first round, right? Missouri. People yeah, Missouri got beat. Yep. Man, um, Man Austin, I hope. This has got to just, just be so tough for Austin to get through this segment. Honestly, this is it's it's Tim. You know, I'm used to it. It's just water rolling off my shoulders. Got my rain jacket on, my umbrella over my head. Not ideal, but uh, we we roll with it. I, I'm looking on that five twelve line, guys. I I really like Winthrop to be Villanova. Villanova down there, maybe their best player. That's not a monumental though. I think a monumental's got to be a fifteen or a sixteen, and I don't see a fifteen or a sixteen winning this year. Yeah, I don't either. But who knows? Crazy sport. That is why they call it madness. Well, I'll go from the hardwood to the gridiron. Free agency in full swing in the NFL. And the Washington football team signed Ryan Fitzpatrick today. He'll be given a chance to win the starting job. will be him against Taylor Heineke, most likely. And if Fitzpatrick does start a game, the Washington football team will mark the ninth different team Fitzpatrick will have started for. Is he the best journeyman in sports history? And who are some of your favorite journeymen from across sports? Whew. Oh, That's man. Nine? Is that right? Nine? Nine. I think, one of the best, I think one of the best journeymen in pro sports history is Big Shot Bob. Robert Horry, who I think has five or six NBA championship rings with, like, three different franchises. You can I, – I, Spurs can, and the go, Lakers, for sure. Go, Google that and look it up. But I know – I think he did it with San Antonio. I mean – yeah, big big shot Bob would be one guy that has a ton of rings and not a superstar guy that you would think of. That's the first thing that popped into my head when you asked that. Mm, let me think. Um, Jamal Crawford jumps to mind from the NBA. Uh, There's got to be a lot of like Jamie Moyer, and, like Mike yeah. Cameron. I'm thinking relief pitchers, Ben, in baseball. Like Oliver Perez, hop- LaTroy Hawkins. LaTroy, LaTroy Hawkins. Hawkins. Yeah. There you go. That's a perfect name. Patrick yeah. Mahomes' is, uh, godfather, yeah. in fact. Yeah. Uh, oh, and Patrick Mahomes' dad hopped around from some different teams, too. Well, moving on to our next topic, uh, this next guy decidedly well, maybe not. maybe Ben wasn't done yet, Tim. Was no, Ben th- those were the Those were the ones that jumped out <laughs> okay. to mind. I decide when Ben's done. Trying to think of like a – a football player. To, I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick is is as good as it gets with uh, with the quarterbacks bouncing around. Um, how about uh, oh, what was his name? Oh, I think he he finished his career with the Bears. Oh, I can't believe his name. Andy, Andy, Andy right. Kyle Orton. <laughs> no, not Kyle Orton. Oh, that's a McCown. Good one Josh too. McCown. There we go. Yeah, Josh, Josh McCown. McCown. That whole family. Yeah. There we go. All right. Well, now that Ben's had his say, I guess we can move on. Uh, over the weekend, New Orleans Saints QB Drew Brees retired from the NFL, but uh, he's already found himself a landing spot. He's joined NBC Sports. 
as a studio analyst for Sunday Night Football and game analyst for Notre Dame football broadcast. It's also rumored that Breeze might one day replace Chris Collinsworth in the booth for Sunday Night Football as well. You guys a fan of this move? You think Breeze will be kind of on the path of Tony Romo or will he go the way of Jason Witten and be loathed by all? No, I don't know. That. I think he'll kind of come down in the middle of that. I don't think he's going to be that controversial. He'll be kind of bland. Uh, but, you know, he looks good. People know him. Great name recognition. Let's just talk about what amazing career that guy had, though. I mean, yeah. come on. Just a remarkable career given up for, really, earlier in his career. And then he bounced right back and had a heck of a run with the Saints. Uh, uh, that's been an amazing thing to watch. But I, I think he'll be a little bit more bland than a Romo type. And, but he'll be more than, than Witten was. Yeah, that, that's crazy to think about. You know, his career going from San Diego to New Orleans and – um, not a tall guy at all. Not not always the best arm, but man, was he accurate and very very good. It's 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 crazy that some of these quarterbacks' careers are are coming to a close. Even what he did at Purdue too, I think, gets overlooked sometimes. Right. Yeah, in fact, I was on the other end of a Drew Brees loss in, in college football. I was doing Kansas State games in 1998, and they played Purdue and Brees in the Alamo Bowl, and Brees was phenomenal. That's the first time I really came across him, and. And he just took off just after the Chargers had kind of thrown him on the trash heap. He resurrected that career in New Orleans. It's a great story. I think we're done with the triggering Austin part of Beyond the Headlines. First with Lehigh, <laughs> now with Drew Brees. Just names getting thrown out here by him. Not a mental midget, so we persevere. Moving on to some spring training. It's underway, and that means all the reasons we love baseball are back with it. Over the weekend, Luis Guillorme of the Mets organization and Jordan Hicks of Missouri's second-best professional baseball franchise squared off in an epic darn-near feature film-length at bat that lasted 22 minute, or 22 Ooh. pitches and 11 minutes of Whoa. real time. Guillorme ultimately gets the win for that at bat. He drew a walk despite not seeing a ball until the fifth pitch of his at bat. How many at bats do you guys think it would take you to see 22 pitches against a major league pitcher? Hmm. Fourteen hundred and twelve. Three divided by. Uh, It'd be eight seven, if you're going to strike out on yeah. three pitches every Carry time. Carry the four. Eight, 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 yeah, eight at bats. <laughs> the, the, the crazy part is, like, we would have to swing and get pieces of the ball. Like, you couldn't just yeah. go up yeah. there with the bat on your shoulder. So, or the guy yeah, would have I mean, to throw I, an I, obvious ball that you don't you take and it's a ball. <laughs> I, I could get lucky and get a six pitch at bat. Maybe he, th- he fills the count up and then either strikes me out or walks me. But I, I don't think I could get. Four times that at 22. <laughs> yeah, just out, Ben's just outside his prime, you know. Uh, but maybe a few years ago, might have been is, able to get a piece of it. Is that a record? Do we know if that is that a Major League Baseball record, 22? I can't it's imagine. Close. There was another 21-22 pitch at bat just a couple seasons ago. I think it was someone from really? the Orioles did it. I also did it in well, high school once, 21 we know pitches, it was, but different level we, of competition. Uh, <laughs> we know man. it was not a guy that was on the Cthulhu's. We know that. No, <laughs> definitely yeah. not. Definitely not. Um, Tiger Woods now out of the hospital after a, a pretty serious car accident he had last month. Uh, he's also going to be back soon, though, on the uh, the video game scene. Uh, he was a longtime face of the EA Sports PGA Tour games, but he was dropped back in 2013 by EA in favor of Roy McIlroy. But the games just didn't do nearly as well with Rory on the cover. Uh, but, you know, with, with Tiger Woods still being, you know, a pretty major name, obviously, in the world of sports, do you guys still think he has that draw to be the face of a sports video game franchise, or should they have just slapped uh, Bryson DeChambeau on the cover? Am I right, Ben? 
No, you're wrong. They he. I mean, it's the most popular name in golf. You know, yeah. and yeah. especially now with the the accident that's happened. Yeah, his name more than carries enough weight. No doubt, he he still is one of the most popular athletes in the world, um, and, and no golfer really approaches that. Bryson might, you know, give give him some time if he keeps racking up majors, he might. But uh, right now, TW uh, owns that brand. So no 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 lefty uh, Phil Mickelson cover no. soon or. No, because I mean he his star has faded too, and he never eclipsed Tiger. Yeah, he's so, he's no. older than Tiger, right? No Bubba Watson or no, nope. mm-hmm. no. Nope. Okay, thought I'd try. You did try. We'll give you credit for that at least. All Thanks. right, we'll go back to March Madness for topic number six. Some uh, funky color matchups in the Midwest region. Six of the sixteen teams in that pod feature orange as their primary color. Those teams, Illinois, Oklahoma State, Tennessee, Clemson, Syracuse, and Oregon State. I texted you guys before the show uh, with all the orange jerseys, so I'd like you guys to rank those jerseys, all the orange ones, from Hmm. worst to best, or best to worst, whichever. Just rank them. Um, All right, let me look them up here. (laughs) This is really hard for me to say because I'm still not over what they did to us in the regional, but I've always been a fan of Oklahoma State's uniforms and really all the sports. And that pains me to say because yeah, I'm, again, big, I'm still, big of you to still admit, not ben. over. Really, really still being not over that. Today. Um, give me, give me the Cowboys one. Give me the Fighting Illini two. Um, I'll take uh, Clemson three, Oregon State four, Syracuse five, Tennessee six. Yeah, I, I like the. I mean, if I'm just judging the uniforms you sent me, I like the cla- I like the classic look of Syracuse's. I would have them higher than Ben does. Clemson, no, they would probably be last for me. Um, that's, that's But yeah, I think you're right on the Cowboys. I like what they do with their uniforms. Uh, I might. I would probably go OSU one. Uh, give me Syracuse two. I'd put Illinois three. Tennessee 4, Oregon State 5, and Clemson 6. There you have it, folks. Yeah, apologies to the listening audience. They did not have those uh, beautiful orange duds in front of them. But, uh, well, rounding out beyond the headlines with with a feel-good story for all of us, Sister Jean going to be back on the scene this March. A team chaplain for Loyola Chicago uh, was a much-beloved sensation back when the Ramblers made their final four run back in 2018. She'll once again be a part of March Madness as she's joining the team's bubble. She's 101 years young and, of course, fully vaccinated. So with Sister Jean at their side, the Ramblers, uh, you guys think they're poised for another Cinderella run? No. (laughs) Where's the romance, Ben? Come on. Sorry. Come on. I, just, I, don't, I don't see I, it. Georgia I, Tech's hot. They're hot right no. now. Plus, they'll they got to go them. play Illinois. Though I think they beat Georgia Tech, but they don't beat Illinois. So, I think it's a maybe two and done for yep. them. How, what, how amazing is that? 101 and willing to That's travel crazy. and do all that stuff. That's God. phenomenal. That's great. I'm pulling for them. Yeah. Me too. We're riding with the Ramblers on Sports Nightly. You can etch it in stone. I say they make an Elite Eight run. You heard it here first. Does Porter Mosier turn down offers again? He did it a couple years ago when they made that big run. He stayed. Does he do it again? Does he just? I don't know. He's getting rumored for some for some jobs out there, and doesn't really sound like he's too interested. So I guess it's possible. What about Sister Jean? What's her coaching prospects out there? I mean, she could turn around a program or two. I bet. (laughs) 
Well, uh, she's just she's a short termer. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, just you know, you're not you're not going to go the long long run. It's, with a, her. it's a it's a win now philosophy, uh, yeah. as, or so you think, or so you think. Yeah. <laughs> Tonight, it's the Nebraska Women's Basketball Show right here on the Husker Sports Network. In the quarter, Huskers lead by two, have a chance at a final shot. Whitney Brown, deep right side. Kendall Coley for three. You betcha. At the end of the first quarter, Kendall Coley sends Nebraska into the lead by five. Our weekly look inside Husker Women's Basketball. Ivy with eight to shoot back to Keaton. Ball fake with six to five. Michael Bryce kicks to Hybe with three. Dribbled it off her shoe. She's at half court. Throws it at the basket. It goes in. You betcha. The miracle shot from 40 feet. Big in and a baseball shot from Ivy. With the head coach, Amy Williams. On the left wing, Whitney Brown. Fakes a pass. Will dribble with 13 and shoot out top. Sam Hybe alone for three on the right wing. You Betcha! Back-to-back triples from Hybe! Can you smell the court cooking at the Big Ten Tournament? Huskers pulling the upset by three! Sponsored in part by your Midwest Ford dealers. Visit online at yourmidwestforddealers.com. Now here's your host, Matt Coatney. No one loves March Madness more than myself, except maybe Husker women's basketball coach Amy Williams. She's in the postseason again. And this is a Nebraska women's basketball radio show, WNIT style. We will take your calls at 531-500-4686 on our Woodhouse Auto Family Hotline. That's also our U.S. Cellular text line, 531-500-4686. The last time we visited with Amy Williams was on the postgame show after the Huskers' last game at the Big Ten Tournament in Indianapolis. So, Amy Williams, I am so happy to talk to you because there's more basketball. And uh, just what have you and your team been doing since getting back from Indianapolis? Well, we we took a couple of well-deserved days off after um, the Big Ten tournament, and um, just the the physical toll that that takes on uh, bodies. Uh, but after a couple of days off, we've been back at it and and practicing, and it's been kind of fun to have. A couple of days of practice where we did not know what our opponent would look like and, you know, just to really kind of focus on us and, and spend some time just getting back in the gym, working on some skill stuff and sharpening up on uh, some things. It's, it's been a, a good couple of days of practice. Uh, I think our girls are excited to kind of know our fate and have an opponent and, and get back to business. Well, Nebraska finished uh, after the Big Ten tournament with a record of 12-12 and and selected last night to the Women's National Invitation Tournament, the Women's NIT, and they will play the regular season champions of the Ohio Valley Conference, the University of Tennessee Martin at 11 a.m. Central, coming up this Friday in the Memphis Regional. If you have followed the WNIT as long as I have, you will know this is a different format this year. Four regions. There's Charlotte, there's Memphis, there's Fort Worth, Texas, and Rockville, Illinois. If you win your region, those four teams advance to Memphis, and they will play for the championship at My Town Movers Fieldhouse in Collierville, Tennessee, which is suburban Memphis. 
the winner of Nebraska's game Friday plays Saturday at 5. The championship of the Memphis region is Monday night. And then the semifinals of the WNIT the next Friday and the championship game on Sunday the 28th. I just have to uh, tell you how happy I am that you have made the postseason, but I want to get back to last week, and then we'll get to the WNIT. But um, Nebraska made some noise in the Big Ten tournament, no doubt about it, defeating Minnesota 72-61. to and then advancing to the quarterfinals and really putting a scare into the number one seed and uh, the eventual tournament champions, Maryland, 83-71. to 71. I want to start with the Minnesota game, though. I really felt like you guys owed the Golden Gophers something since they had swept the two-game regular season series, but you were able to, to get by them by double figures, 19 points, eight rebounds for Sam Hybe. So if you can remember, I know these games all run into each other and now you're worried about the WNIT, but if you can remember that first game in Indianapolis, how satisfying was it for you and your team to to really kind of get back at Minnesota and get that win? Yeah, I mean, it was very satisfying. It was something that, you know, we definitely felt like that we gave a couple of ball games away. You know, we were ahead in both of our games versus the Gophers and into the fourth quarter and then kind of just uh, did not have as strong a fourth quarter as we would have liked against them in either of the regular season matchups and felt like we let some games slip away from us. And really important games that, you know, had we been able to come out ahead uh, could have could have um, potentially changed our, our um, opportunities with the NCAA tournament. So it was something that uh, we most definitely felt like we wanted to be able to get uh, back and, and find a way to, uh, to win and, and prove to ourselves that, you know, we could beat that team and, and particularly when it mattered um, in the tournament when we wanted to be playing our best basketball. And, um, you know, I just, yeah, I, I felt like it was a, a good opportunity and, and something we wanted to get get back. And, you know, once again, I thought we really came out very, very strong in that ball game and were very sharp early and got ourselves up. I think, um, you know, eight-minute mark in the fourth quarter, there was a timeout. It was uh, maybe a 20-point game or close to and then um, didn't maybe close the door as well as we would have liked. And so it kind of left a little bad taste in your mouth after that game. But certainly a double-digit a double win over a quality opponent like Minnesota um, after they had swept us in the regular season was uh, very satisfying. 531-500-4686. If you'd like to visit with Amy Williams tonight on the Woodhouse Auto Family Hotline, the Sports Nightly Hotline is brought to you by Woodhouse Auto Family bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. Um, you know, so Sam Hybe always gets up to play Minnesota. She's a native of Minnesota. But then you put in another Minnesota product, an early enrollee in freshman Kendall Coley. You put her out there in the first half, crutch time, she hits not only one, but two threes, and they're both huge. You showed an awful lot of confidence in Kendall Coley putting her out there on the big stage in those situations, don't you think? 
Yeah, I thought, uh, you know, Kendall has just um, each and every practice, each and every day, each and every week, she's getting more and more comfortable with, um, you know, kind of our system and what the expectations and how to play her game within the flow of what we're trying to do. And I think, you know, at times she's been trying really hard not to disrupt um, the flow of what our team is doing. And in that, she sometimes kind of loses um, what she can bring to the table. But uh, each each day, she's just getting more and more comfortable how to uh, be Kendall and bring what she brings and um, do it within the flow of what our team is trying to accomplish on the court. And so um, so we absolutely had confidence to put her in the ball game and find ways to um, – and it was awesome to see her step up and make big shots and really contribute to that win. 72-61, the Huskers knocked off Minnesota. I can't – get by this game without asking you about Whitney Brown against Minnesota. Uh, She was a major factor, I thought, in what was an 18-3 surge that really kind of gave your team control of the game they never let go of, kind of bridging the first and second quarters in that first half. While Whit was out there, um, six assists, which was a career high for the game, but five of them came in that six-minute span I'm talking about. I, I just really felt, Amy, that she changed the whole game with the way she ran the offense. What did you think about her contributions? Yeah, I just I thought she made really big contributions in that game, and it wasn't even she went scoreless in the ball game, and so I think mm-hmm. that was just a, a really good lesson for um, for her, for the rest of our team, for young kids out there and stuff that you can make um, just a huge impact on the game by just playing the game the right way, and that's what I think Wit does a really good job of. You know, she'll utilize pass fakes, she'll you know do what she needs to do to set the defense up. She makes the right read, she makes simple passes, she makes the simple play she moves the ball um the ball you know really gets to the right places when she's out there and um and you know obviously our offense clicked um a lot more efficiently um during a surge there while she was on the court in the two regular season games against the golden gophers at times their post gave you problems but in this game kate kane who by the way i think has been playing extremely well down the stretch towards the end of the season 16 points in that opening big 10 tournament game against minnesota and it just seems to me amy that that kate's been playing with a very silent confidence it just shows in her play do you think that that's a good way of describing it silently confident yeah, I think so. I think that'd be a good way to uh, describe it. I think, you know, Kate was a little frustrated about um, the way that she produced um, in our previous two matchups with Minnesota, and it was clear that their um, game plan was to get as physical as they possibly could with her and try to, you know, get her out of positioning and keep her um, contained. But I think she did a fabulous job that third time of really kind of learning from that and then finding a way to to really dig in her heels and be like, you know, that's not going to happen again. And um, she found outstanding ways to contribute for our team and, and, you know, continuing to show great confidence. And um, it was good to see that. And you've had Bella Cravens back now for a few games. She was in the flow of the Big Ten tournament, talking about Kate's game on the inside. Bella ended up starting the the second game in Indy there against Maryland. But it's got to feel good for you having Bella back involved, even if she maybe doesn't look 100%. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, Bella brings a lot to our team and, and um, uh, she, you know, is a major contributor, um, not just being a another option to score inside for us, but really, you know, her rebounding presence and her um, her ability to, you know, switch uh, screens and, and, you know, give you some versatility with what you want to do with a defensive game plan. So uh, having her back in the mix was, was outstanding and she's still not, you know, 100 percent and and you know in a flow and and had to take a couple extra days off but um but certainly is is getting closer back towards that and it was outstanding to have her presence back on the court with our team um there in the tournament yeah and and as nice as it was to win the game against minnesota it was kind of tempered the enthusiasm of that when ruby porter went down she got carried off the floor she wasn't in uniform for the second game against Maryland. So, you know, fans ask me this two or three times a day now since since the injury. It, is there any update on Ruby? How's she doing? Fans want me to, to express to you, please tell Ruby the fans are thinking about her. But uh, uh, any update you can give us on Ruby Porter? Yeah, I mean, Ruby is, um, she's a tough kid, and, and um, she bounces back fairly quickly, so we feel really good about that. I think that, um, you know, she's not um, able to be out there with us right now, uh, but it'll be kind of just dependent on on um, how her body uh, heals up, and we'll just, you know, keep an eye on her and, and um, watch to see how that uh, sprain kind of um, uh, advances. So Nebraska defeated Minnesota in their first game in the Big Ten Tournament, 72-61. And uh, it's great winning games in the Big Ten Tournament. Uh, the one thing that's kind of down about winning a game in the Big Ten Tournament is you don't have hardly any time to celebrate because then you have to advance. And then you had to prepare for the top seed in the tournament in the regular season champions and the team that eventually won the Big Ten tournament, Maryland Terrapins. And I just got to be honest with you, I don't think there were a lot of people who really felt like Nebraska was going to stack up against Maryland. Maryland had a lot of things to play for. They were trying to become a number one seed in the NCAA tournament if they could win the Big Ten title and do it impressively. So with all that going into it what was the mindset of your team and your feeling heading into that game because that game ended up being the talk of the whole nation on on uh, that morning yeah I mean to be honest with you Matt I, I loved our kids' mindset and it was really just one of you know n- no fear and just you know go out there with you know we you know we we know Maryland had a lot to play for but so did we and you know yeah. we're trying to play our best basketball down the stretch we're trying to um, fight for you know to make a run for that tournament championship and and someday we're going to be cutting down the nets at that tournament and um, you know and know that we're in the NCAA tournament and that's something that you know we're striving for and and I think our kids really went into that game with with no fear and just you know let's go play hard and play it one possession at a time and and um, try to give ourselves a chance and I think our kids really uh, put themselves in a position to to have a lead in the fourth quarter and and to be competitive competitive and to have a chance um, to to be successful in that game. My phone was blowing up during the broadcast, which is kind of hard to broadcast a game when you see your phone moving with the vibration on the table. But people all over the country had noticed the score. Um, 
Sam Hybe, so strong in that game. She eclipsed the 1,000 career point mark, the 35th Husker, uh, to do that. She had uh, 24 points, nine rebounds, six assists. But what I want to ask you first about Sam in that game, and I got to think this comes from you, but when did you teach her that shot where she starts her motion looking the wrong way and turns around from half court and throws a fastball one-handed and drains a 40-footer? Is is that all Amy Williams in that technique, or is any of that Sam Hybe? That's that's pretty much all Sam. So, and, and to be honest with you, I don't know. Um, even when I've you know watched her doing her skill workouts and stuff, I can't uh, remember her working on that shot um, much in in uh, in her skill workouts and skill development. But um, yeah, she uh, that was a fantastic shot and good play just to get the ball up at the rim. Uh, you know, late shot clock right there. But um, uh, honestly. She had a, just a fabulous game and, and I thought proved uh, to herself and to everybody that um, she can compete with the best in the country. And, and we really feel like, you know, that Maryland team is, is one of the best. And, and um, I thought Sam really showed that. And, and, you know, several times this year, Matt, I feel like, you know, Sam has really kind of has really kind of had moments that have just really propelled her to, you know, raise her confidence and just, you know, continue to, you know, have higher expectations of herself and, and from her teammates and from her coaching staff and from the people around her. And, you know, earlier this season, that game winner over Northwestern seemed to really kind of give her that, you know, boost. And, and um, I think and, and um, really believe that uh, her performance in that Maryland game uh, in the conference tournament should do the same. She went toe-to-toe with Ashley Owusu in that final quarter. Sam had 12. Owusu had 13. Owusu went 7-for-7 at the line in the final period after Nebraska had the lead 60-57. to What was the difference, do you think, in the fourth quarter after you all had that three-point lead? What changed? Maryland started hitting a lot of free throws, I know, but what really changed after you guys had that three-point lead? Yeah, I mean, I think they took a timeout. Um, they came out of the timeout and, and hit a three that tied the ball game. But, um, you know, after that, I, I really do think the biggest difference was, um, you know, they kind of cranked things up with their ball pressure just a little bit. And I think we were doing a decent job. You know, Maryland, because they switch every screen, one through five, they find themselves in some mismatches sometimes. Um, but they do such a fabulous job of really helping in those mismatch situations that it's hard to really take advantage of it. Um, So our game plan really early was to try to um, make them pay for overhelp and and Mm -hmm. looking for skip passes. But um, I thought then when they really amped up their ball pressure, it it cut down on our vision to be able to see those um, skip passes and make those skip passes. And um, I think that uh, that was one big difference from that kind of hindered our ability to uh, put points up as, as, as quickly as we wanted to down the stretch. Um, and then, you know, like, like you mentioned already, they did a good job of, uh, of getting themselves to the free throw line down the stretch. 